This is the InterVR Podcast, and I'm Chris Miranda, your host. Today I'm speaking with a scholar, no, I'm sorry, a true scholar and gentleman of virtual reality. His name is Cymatic Bruce. Um, Bruce, how are you, sir? Thank you so much for joining me. Mr. Miranda, it is an absolute pleasure to once again uh, be talking VR with you and be on the InterVR Podcast. It's fantastic, so I'm uh, doing well, doing well. Good to hear. We're going to have a really fun conversation today, um, and let's just get deep in there right now. What's your take on what's going on with this Magic Leap reveal? Oh my, uh, that is so interesting, what's going on with Magic Leap reveal. I- I'm glad they revealed something. Uh, there's still lots of questions because uh, still precious few people have got time with an actual unit that you can put eyes in. Um, but it's interesting. I think it's uh, it's cool. It's an exciting move. Uh, they're, I think, uh, in a very different world than it was when Magic Leap was uh, first kind of announced. Uh, I mean, it was kind of like, oh, there's this magical thing. It's going to be amazing. It's, they've got a real breakthrough. And then kind of HoloLens... Um, that kind of hit, and there's these other things that have kind of hit, and uh, and you know, Apple's kind of you know, showing showing themselves to be really involved with the acquires they've made. So they've they've got to get out there, and they've got to start uh, building that developer community post haste. So uh, it's definitely exciting development, and uh, I look forward to getting my eyes in one sometime <laughs> soon. Yeah, I heard right. they they're now out, but they're not cheap. And um, and that's definitely a barrier for adoption from developers, I would imagine. Yeah, it's uh, supposed to be you know dev kits early 2018. The word from them is from what I've read is that it's going to be you know the the price is going to be around the price of a, a high end laptop. So that is definitely not cheap. We're right back in Hololens dev kit territory. We two to three thousand um, dollars, I would assume. Um, so. Yeah, it becomes interesting where is this a enterprise item, a consumer item? Like what is the kind of impetus for a developer to get, kind of get involved right now um, in this uh, with such an expensive device? Um, yeah, there's definitely some questions. Definitely some questions. If I were a developer, I think – the biggest thing Magic Leap has going for it is all that marketing and that notoriety for now, right? I mean, that's definitely they've, they've definitely been building it up for so for so long. Um, so, but that can only get you so far, you know? Because I wonder, like, if you're so, I wonder, what do you think it's going to take for Magic Leap to really get more developers on board? Uh, I I think it's you know it's it's going to be all execution. It's going to be getting kits to people, getting kits to the right people, communicating with them, uh, whatever developer tools they have, how they execute on that, um, because they're kind of uh, up against some pretty stiff competition. With you know whenever Apple decides to make they make their AR move, um, they've already kind of primed their developer community with this AR core and and uh, with Google with AR Kit, like all this. Uh, AR core, AR kit things happening from Apple and Google are already priming their developer communities to really deal with whatever's coming next from those entities. Uh, and uh, that is uh, exciting and uh, and interesting, And uh, but also I think puts Magic Leap kind of a little bit behind the eight ball with like, hey, they're, they're going to have to execute really well as far as what kind of development tools they have, uh, what that pipeline looks like. Um, and uh, being pretty aggressive about you know going after those devs that they know can make uh, you know content that's going to be compelling 
for AR. So it's it's going to be kind of a combination of all those things. It's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that there's going to be some sort of? Do you think that Magic Leap will be different enough from Hololens that'll that it'll be difficult for developers to create cross-platform experiences? I would hope not. Um, it you know it may be. I have no idea. You know I don't have a lot of the details on what their base is going to be like with HoloLens, you know, a lot of it is based in Windows. You know, Microsoft is kind of positioning it as an extension of their operating system. Uh, so uh, that is kind of an interesting move for better or for worse. Uh, that's, you know, just like what Windows is doing with their VR headsets. I mean, it's a really amazing move that they have this stuff essentially compatible at the OS level. Uh, and uh, that presents a, a, a great opportunity for a great many uh, hardware manufacturers out there to be like, well, everyone out there, you know, 80, 90% of the people that have computers have Windows. Um, so definitely want our unit to be there uh, versus some kind of closed ecosystem like Apple might do if Magic Leap tries to go with that or, you know, which is probably more likely. I think it's going to be it's going to be interesting, right? I mean, it's going to come down to the, you know, the content. Like, is it really that compelling these videos that we've seen come out every so often from them that are really kind of sci-fi and, and future i mean how close to that vision can they deliver <laughs> is gonna is the big question right because a lot of that stuff is like okay that's that's great you know you've had a special effects house do a really great video which has got people excited generate a lot of buzz you got some things out there that claim to kind of be the camera looking through the lens of the of the magic leap, which got people speculating and excited. Um, but what does it look like? Really? I, I think, you know, even with HoloLens, a lot of the stuff they did like at Microsoft build and on stage, it was kind of this, you know, when the press actually got their eyes in it, it was this letdown because the field of view was so much smaller. Um, and I think, you know, man managing expectations, even with the marketing uh, could go a long way uh, to, to really get people on board um, that are just kind of, you know, curious. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely curious, but I am of the uh, opinion or the belief that unless I try it, I can't really get hyped about it. I can't really start telling my friends and family about it. You know, it's it's one of those things where, like, I'm keeping a close eye on it, but I don't want to get my illusions up because, you know, how many times have we been disappointed by technology that's been released too early? And speaking of hardware, I wanted to ask you about, you know, if you, I, I've noticed a, a pattern. The Meta Glasses, HoloLens, and I believe Magic Leap are using gesture control as a form of input. Do you think that we'll ever see um, the need or the use for, like, actual hardware, you know, like uh, AR controllers or AR keyboards or AR some sort of input device um, that we haven't seen yet. I, I wonder because I haven't, are we going to, because I think gesture control personally, I don't think it's like a hundred percent, how do you say, uh, accurate. And so I wonder, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's an uh, interesting user experience question that's kind of been floating. Uh, and you've kind of with gesture control, you almost have to leap, uh, like uh, kind of uh, lump it in uh, with voice recognition. I think those things go hand in hand, and it becomes, you know, uh, one of those fields that it's it's horrible until it's perfect. 
like you know, like ninety eight percent voice recognition, ninety eight percent gesture control is unbearable, and a hundred percent is perfect and amazing, right? <laughs> uh, so it's this kind of really unfair technology uh, vertical there um, that you know a lot of people are still working very very hard on. Uh, but um, but yeah, I think gesture control in combination with voice recognition can uh, replace keyboard and mouse interactions. It's that confidence that you have to have in that interface. Like when you have a button, when it's binary, when it's, hey, it's either on or off, and you have that absolute confidence, unless this thing is broken, um, then it's going to work and going to have this result that I expect. Uh, and a user, pretty much, you know, you have to have that same level of confidence, which is essentially 99.99% of the time that this thing is going to do what you expect. Um, and there are some things that are getting really close. Like Leap Motion is actually working on some some great things in their internal teams, moving things forward. There's a lot of different companies out there that are really trying to move this forward to the point where, yes, you can depend on gesture recognition, gesture control uh, as a reliable input. Um, and so I think that's coming, uh, but uh, it's it's gonna take some some really hard work and some really great execution to see that come about. Like, for instance, I use you know Voice Attack as a voice recognition program when I play Elite Dangerous, uh, and it's good enough where I depend on it. Like, I don't assign keyboard keys to boosting or releasing the chaff of my spaceship i just say those things i give it commands and it uh, works 100 percent of the time and so i have adjusted my user experience to use that and i use it every time i play the game and so uh that's kind of the the threshold right like as soon as you have that confidence where you know hey it's going to work every time uh i think users will be very willing to move over to it yeah, and voice recognition is getting better and better. Uh, gone are the days when you had to repeat over and over and over and over again what you meant to say to the computer, because um, you know, now it just it just it just picks it up. Um, mm-hmm. And so, do you think the haptic glove is is dead? Do you think do you think we'll 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 see a um, in the future, perhaps the long distant future, we'll be able to see haptic gloves being integrated with. HMDs, and I'm not just talking about AR, perhaps VR as well. Um, or, or is this just technology that's too hard to achieve and not good? Um, there's not many use cases for. It. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think they're <clears throat> definitely coming. I, I think that's definitely happening. I mean, there's so much still to be understood about how the brain perceives a, a certain type of force on the fingers and hand and palm. Like uh, just like tactical haptics with what they have, it's like a sheer force that you're getting, but it makes it feel like you have weight in your hand. Um, just thinking about that really just blows my mind a little bit. Like the type of force that's actually happening has nothing to do with how my brain is actually perceiving that information. Like my brain takes it as a totally different type of interaction I'm having because of the visual feedback I'm getting. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's definitely something that once it's good, people are going to absolutely want it. Once you can have VR uh, and you can actually shake someone's hand and feel the handshake in virtual reality, I mean, that's going to be a big deal. Um, once you can grab a thing 
and and feel like that thing is in your hand, uh, that's going to be a huge, huge deal. So, um, yeah, I think that's a very compelling case. And I think the technology will come along that will be able to do it, whether it's by physically wearing a glove or some advancement with static electricity or an ultrasound or something else. Um, There's lots of different other types of forces that uh, exist in the world that we might be able to manipulate uh, in the future. So um, that'll be interesting. Definitely (laughs) hopeful and I'll keep my fingers crossed. Now let's come back a little, let's come back to the present and let me ask you about your analysis. What do you, what do you think about the current state of the Oculus Rift, the HTC Vive, the Samsung Odyssey and the PSVR? Where are they? Um, how have they fared this year? And what do you think are their strengths and weaknesses so far? Oh, man, that's that's a great question. Um, across the board, I think everyone's done great. Looks like uh, the third quarter has been really strong, and this holiday season is going to be pretty strong as far as sales and, and numbers and adoption and all that. Um, I would say the communities for almost all of those are pretty strong as well. I think from the very beginning, PlayStation VR's uh, user community has been super active uh, in spite of the articles that came out that uh, first holiday season about it being dead on arrival or whatever the the press want to do for clickbait. um, The PlayStation VR community has been on fire waiting for content. uh, And uh, and, man, and PlayStation VR, because it's a console, because there's this very high standard for polished user experience, uh, you have some really excellent uh, experiences on PlayStation VR. Like what's going on with Farpoint is really great. People are really digging Skyrim right now. Um, there's a variety of, of, of games that are out there that are really, really good. I really miss Rigs. Uh, there was a, a great community around that. And then for some reason, Sony closed a lot of their UK studios, which included the rig studio um, in the middle of them, like getting DLC out. It was like, no, uh, but uh, but that was, uh, you know, like, oh, man, you know, it's just waiting for something great, uh, even even greater to happen uh, for PlayStation VR. So I think they're in a really good spot and have some <clears throat> really solid uh, content out. Uh, on the content side, I think Rift is also doing very well. Like Lone Echo, as just by itself, is a really, really strong kind of uh, case for you know, VR esports, whatever that ends up meaning <laughs> in the future, uh, as well as just a host of other content that is uh, really strong as well. Um, so excited there, and the moves that Oculus is making as far as their Oculus Dash. And uh, some of the things they've hinted at at the last Oculus Connect uh, with uh, getting other headsets compatible uh, possibly in the future, which would be really, really exciting. And uh, some of the other kind of ideas that they are planning to execute on. I think it's really exciting what the future of Oculus looks like there. Um, Although, you know, a lot of people are simply just not on board with kind of a closed ecosystem that they have going. <laughs> and it's clear in some respects they're trying to be kind of the Apple of VR. Um, but uh, this kind of kind of change in attitude a little bit that we've seen over the past year of them kind of looking to open up. We got Facebook spaces compatible with Vive. Like there's a lot of different things that are happening that are encouraging there. Um, and it's, uh, you know, a very comfy headset. Uh, the Vive is an interesting kind of situation where it's tied to steam 
you have such a huge quantity of content, although the quality, as a lot of users would say, is is kind of a harder part because there's really great titles, but sometimes it's difficulty finding that great title. You have to rely on the word of mouth of someone like, oh, have you played this? Dude, it's like the greatest thing ever. Like, um, like Castle Must Be Mine, for example, is an incredible, incredible tower defense game that most people have never heard of. And it's like, well, it's in there. It's on Steam. It, everyone loves it that reviews it. It's freaking fun and super great. Um, but it, it, you know, it's one of those titles that could easily get lost in the fray because there's like hundreds of VR things on Steam right now. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if Valve or HCC will kind of address that issue. Um, I think HCC is in an interesting position because that IP is Valve's, right? So they're really kind of behind the eight ball to be like, all right, we've got to really get moving and seal up this market. We've got we've got their own store with Viveport. They're doubling down on China to make sure that they uh, wrap up some things there. They're really trying to get that market share and keep it. Um, and because, I mean, things are coming down the pipeline that are using that Valve IP. There's, you know, the, the Pimax is compatible with it, and there's uh, probably a few other headsets that are going to be compatible with the same lighthouses uh, that you're going to be able to swap like um you know and that's a, a very uh, i think uh, exciting prospect for users because it's like well i have this vive now but maybe i can get a pimax hmd and still use the vive controllers i have or i can get this this thing made by this company and it's going to work with the stuff i already have because it's all lighthouse compatible like that is super exciting and i would like to see acc take advantage more i think they've started with the trackers and that little gun that they announced with a tracker attached um i would love to see like a little suite of of kind of tracked like shapes that you can bring into vr with you like one is kind of just a kind of a pole so it could be like a sword or a hammer or anything that feels like that um i would love to see more things with kind of that uh, lighthouse tracking built into them as cheaply as they can possibly do it. And I think that can go a long way into kind of maintaining that market share. But, I mean, they're they're still great. They're still, as, as far as PC, they're still ahead of the pack as far as numbers go. I know Oculus has been steadily catching up. So um, they have a real opportunity, but there's also stuff on the horizon that is going to be kind of uh, on, on the lookout for HTC. Um and then finally, you have the Windows Mixed Reality kind of VR headsets, the Samsung Odyssey being the the plush version of those um, with, you know, the, the Acer and the Lenovo and all the HP Dell and all the other ones kind of um, being the, you know, the bargain versions, if you will. Uh, hey, I love my Acer. Uh, so, <laughs> but um, I think that's really exciting uh, for maybe some different reasons. Um, one, a Windows headset is really great because you can play pretty much anything. You got the Windows Store stuff. You have the, you know, Vive stuff with the Steam plugin. And then with Revive, you can do Oculus stuff as well. So it's not going to be perfect. You're going to run into compatibility issues, but you can kind of almost get the best of all worlds, um, which is uh, really cool. Uh, the other part of it is kind of an industry and education it's just such a huge, huge move because those headsets can operate off of a Intel integrated graphics 
uh, chip. Um, so you have plenty of schools and, and businesses across America that don't have computers with, you know, dedicated video cards. They're not going to have a GTX you know, 1080 uh, in their computers that they already have, but they do have integrated graphics. Uh, and so what'll be interesting to see how this headset can kind of start to worm its way in to, to get to a point where you just buy a VR headset as you would a monitor. Like, yeah, it's just like any other peripheral that I get, like a mouse or a keyboard. It just works and plugs into Windows. There's minimum setup involved. Uh, and no matter what type of computer I have, it's pretty much going to work. Um, so that's kind of exciting uh, and and interesting, too. And I, I, I kind of look forward to the future of those devices because it's very, very bright because you're talking about really super accessible VR. Maybe in a year and a half, that Acer headset that's $300 now is $150 uh, and plugs into your $500 laptop um, and, and works with everything you'd want to do. I mean, that's one hell of a prospect, right? Um, so on, uh, on a kind of a, uh, affordability and accessibility front, uh, that's, that's pretty huge. So, yeah, that's kind of my, uh, my overview. I think PlayStation VR is the most exciting because they've, They've got the momentum, and they're really great on the content side. And Windows is exciting because of the potential. And the other two for PC VR are, are kind of um, on track, and we'll we'll see where things go. It's going to be an exciting year, 2018. So, what should we keep an eye out for 2018? Um, and thanks, by the way, for all that that wholesome analysis of the industry. <laughs> awesome, no problem. <laughs> Oh, man, what should we look out for? Um, I, I think really it has to be the emphasis has to be on content. I mean, there's going to be dev kits that will be announced. I'm sure maybe late next year we'll see something about o- Oculus Go and maybe Santa Cruz. Some of these all-in-one things, there'll probably be dev kits announced or going out to people. Um, uh, but I think what it means on the actual consumer front is that we're going to see more and more actual things that people can get their hands on and play, which are going to be exciting for people. Like, um, you know, I saw a couple nights ago there was, you know, uh, I don't know, five or six thousand people on Twitch watching VR chat uh, because there was some people, I think, from Team Solomid, uh, like the esports team, were playing VR chat, I think. Um, and so that's the kind of thing where I, I look forward to the day when, you know, Echo Arena and some other VR titles are in the hundreds or in the thousands of views on Twitch uh, because there's going to be content like that that's going to be coming out next year. That's going to be exciting uh, for PlayStation VR, for PC VR. Um, so I think that's the thing to watch out for. That's the thing to get excited about. Um, and uh, so I, I'm, I'm really hopeful to see where that goes, to, to have that breadth of content that makes people kind of take the plunge and, and, uh, and pay down that money because they just have to have whatever VR experience has come out. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people I think are on the fence, you know, uh, Skyrim pushed a lot of people over the edge. Doom VFR pushed a lot of people over the edge. Um, uh, Fallout pushed a lot of people over the edge, uh, and and have them do the plunge and and plunk down and uh, along with the price cuts, right? So a lot of people a bit. There's still a lot of people more that are getting more interested, but are just waiting for maybe that one title that they can't live without. That they're they're like, all right, fine, take my money. Um, so I'm hoping that's what's going to be the big story of 2018 
um, where it becomes kind of this, uh, you know, this kind of this uh, golden age of content uh, for this first wave of VR uh, that gets gets people really, really hooked and really excited. Is there something that you're particularly excited about? I'm I'm uh, anticipating uh, Dreams from Media Molecule. That's the one that I'm most uh, excited about. Uh, hopefully, it will be released next year. Um, it's supposed to be this crazy create your own animations inside of virtual reality kind of studio with you know the team that created Little Big Planet. Um, so I have hopes that it's going to be good quality and it's going to be able to allow people to the capability to create stories of their own with this new uh, sort of puppet show in virtual reality kind of tool thing majig <laughs> what about you what are you excited about oh man uh oh, there's there's some good stuff that is coming um ah let's see i'm also looking forward to dreams i must say um, you know, Media Molecule is one of my favorite companies. I love Little Big Planet, so to see that they're going to have something that not only lets you create, but have that stuff animate, move around, do stuff, woo, that's going to be good. Um, uh, let's see, something else um, I have been really fo- looking forward to here. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that was announced at uh, PlayStation Experience. Um, they've got a lot of really great stuff, um, like Blood and Truth. Um, that's the one from, uh, the guys that did, um... London Heist. London Heist. Yeah, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, that's looking good. Uh, I actually, you know, although it's been controversial, I really have enjoyed Doom VFR on PlayStation, uh, on PSVR, so I'm hoping maybe the next thing from Bethesda, whatever that is... Is going to be exciting. Um, I, I think the thing that was announced at Oculus Connect uh, from the Titanfall crew uh, is, did they say it was 2018 or was that going to be 2019? I uh, wanna. I think it was 2019, although yeah. I, I really hope that it's 2018. I hope I'm wrong here. I hope I'm wrong too, but I'm looking forward. Like Titan, Titanfall is one of those titles that is really, really dig it, um, and so I'm really hopeful for that. Uh, and, uh, uh, let's see. So I'm just, like, there's just so much stuff out there. It's hard to keep, keep track really. Let me ask um, you this, but, yeah. this real quick question then. Um, how is there that one title for you that like hasn't been created yet, but, but as soon as it gets created, like, Oh my God, take my money now. Oh man. I think, I don't know if it's one title, but it's definitely a kind of a, uh, the the IP tie-in title is what needs to happen in VR, and we've had these like these very close, like uh, not near misses, I would say, just like they're just but they're just like these tastes. Like three examples that come to mind right away that I would love to see. Like there's uh, Star Wars Battlefront Two, uh, or not Star Wars Battlefront One, um, the the X-wing VR mission, uh, incredible, incredible. Being inside an X-wing. Um, battling TIE fighters, flying along the Rebel fleet in VR um, with a joystick, which I figured out how to do as well. Um, incredible. A Star Wars put me in an X-Wing in VR game absolutely has to happen. Um, DreamWorks with that Voltron tie-in uh, for the Voltron show was so incredible from a presentation and production value standpoint. Like um, The DreamWorks team made it 
all of the assets are directly from the Netflix show. Um, and so it was amazing, but the gameplay is so lacking. <laughs> like wow. it's so limited. Like you're, it's really on on rails, and you're just babied, and you can't die. And you're like, oh, dude, come on, dude. Like, let me pilot a Voltron bot, <laughs> dude. Come on. Like, especially when you have the voice actors, um, the asset, everything is just like plopped directly from the freaking show you watch on Netflix, and it's right standing in front of you in VR. So compelling. So good, it needs to happen. Uh, the third is Coco. Like, Coco VR experience is absolutely, absurdly incredible. Like, seeing what the Pixar team, that creative team, uh, was able to partner and do and put together a VR experience, once again, plucking the assets directly from that feature film and putting them in VR. Like, it's the same exact assets. Like, you start off Coco and you're looking at Manuel and it's like, dude, it's that's the same that's the that is the dude from uh the movie that I was looking at at the screen like that is an incredible experience and the kind of what they put together within that experience is incredibly awesome um and it's just like this taste of like oh my goodness like when these lovingly made kind of tie-ins um to beloved IP I think that's going to be a huge tipping point for VR and I I hope we see something in 2018 uh that ties into that like a lot of stuff has been like oh there's this cool like the the last guardian vr thing that's going to be available next year i think uh was exciting i really liked that game was like oh man that's gonna like a vr experience uh, associated with that um there's gonna be like this stuff coming but uh, those are the things i wish would be announced i mean just, just put me in, like put me in that universe that I've come to love over years and years and years, uh, and and make it a really thoughtful, great experience. And oh boy, uh, I think that gets uh, that gets hearts pumping and, and dollars moving <laughs> for sure. Twenty eighteen <laughs> seems like it has potential to be a really good year for content. I want to ask you about what about you know what are your thoughts about. Skyrim um, and Bethesda coming in and, and porting over Skyrim and porting over Doom um, or, so, or some sections of it, of Doom um, into VR. Like, what does that say to, like, other big studios? Is, is that saying to them, like, look, if we can do it, so can you? Or is this more of a... Or is this more of a warning, like, hey, don't go that route. Those guys don't know what they're doing. Like, how do you see this panning out, you know? And I, I imagine mm. it's more of the not not the latter because of the success of Skyrim so far it's like to me it's showing sort of validation that you can port old IP to virtual reality but it's not but it's not but I think it requires some level of talent to be able to pull that off what do you think yeah it's an interesting question cuz uh, uh there's so many things that were right that are right with Skyrim VR with um, if you're a Skyrim fan and suddenly you're in Temriel, you're like, oh, oh, holy crap, um, this is so awesome. I, uh, if I played this game before, I get to relive it, or maybe I'm playing this game for the first time and uh, I'm seeing these things firsthand uh, from a, a VR point of view. And that becomes really exciting and really compelling uh, because you have th- this amount of content that's involved. Um, but then there's also this kind of the flip side of it where, you know, you can do a really good job with the execution, with reworking the UI, with uh, reworking the locomotion and doing all these things so that old game 
um, can be kind of retrofitted and made into a VR title. Um, but I think there's still fundamentally issues with design um, that make it, you know, less than a a great experience and, and really becomes risky if people aren't phenomenally excited about your IP. Like Skyrim, Fallout, Doom, people are go bananas over those IPs. And I, I could probably argue, like, if it was like a Zelda, for example, or... Um, another kind of really huge, huge franchise like a Battlefield or Call of Duty type deal. Um, I, I think people would go for it and and you know and be hype enough um, that it probably makes sense from a kind of number sold point of view. Uh, but you see, the other side of it was like Talos, the VR uh, kind of version of the Talos principle, mm-hmm. um, and that was kind of an other side where they did a lot of work, retrofitted that app, made it so it works in VR, and it's very well done. But because people aren't excited about that IP, their numbers were like, you know, uh. and then as a developer, you have to think, well, are we going to go through this effort to do all this retrofitting and, and really make a great experience when, you know, people aren't, uh, they're going to kind of not be, have that extra kind of, um, positive angle because of the IP that you have and they're going to judge the experience at face value and be like, well, this isn't a good VR experience, you know, says the kind of the, the VR nerd <laughs> out there. And, and so that becomes rough. I mean, there's a lot of those games have a lot of walking. There's a lot of empty space and that's cool when you're looking at a monitor, but in VR, you're like, Oh my God, how much more walking do I have to do? Um, it's, uh, I don't know, there's kind of things like that where it's like these game mechanics, like you look at an NPC and you want them to respond to things that you do or you want to that dog that you pet to respond to being pet uh, in VR and, and things are so much slower and you want to you sit down in the tavern and check out this thing and pick it up. Uh, I mean, that that's a, a huge undertaking if you're talking about retrofitting and, and making all of those things happen. Uh, in a in a VR version of the game versus just taking the game as is and just overhauling the locomotion in the UI, which is still not a trivial amount of work. So, mm, yeah. yeah. It's interesting you point out that people will want to... It, it almost seems like it's an invitation to test the boundaries of the physics engine and the, and the whole world itself. Um, when you put... When you immerse the player in virtual reality, it seems like it's an invitation for that. Like... Here, pet the dog and see if something happens. Or I wonder if that butterfly will actually get cut in half if I cut it with a sword. And in some aspects, they mm-hmm. were able to balance that out. They were able to like land some, like they were able to get some really good details, find details out of the world. But it's still, like you said, like it's not. It's it's a huge undertaking to really make it fully interactive and make sure that everything has some form of interaction. Um, yeah, it's a huge undertaking. Now, let me ask you about your, your your this this past year. What has been your top three favorite games? Cymatic Bruce's Game of the Year contenders and its number one champion. What what are they this year? Ooh, ooh, that's a that's a good one. Oh man, uh, top games for the year. Uh, Castle must be mine. Has to be in my top three. Okay, tell me um, about this one before we before we go move on to the the other two. Tell me about this one because I've heard this a lot, but I this is one of those hidden gems. It seems like that people don't know much about. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so. So uh, it's a tower defense game. Um, but uh, the kind of, you know, the twist is, that, of course, you're in VR and it's like a, a giant table, essentially, that the tower defense action is happening uh, within this within this room. Um, so that is uh, pretty interesting. But it's kind of when you have to place all of the uh, the items, you know, your, you know, cannons or, uh, the, you know, uh, turrets or whatever you're placing there, you're physically placing all those things. You're also physically collecting the coins, like the money, <laughs> um, and so it's uh, it's kind of this really, really great balance between how many things you have to do and pay attention to as a user, uh, but taking advantage of the audio cues and the 3D space in a really, really great way. Um, it's also really neat because you can shrink yourself down uh, and and be on top of the castle, and they have Ooh. different traps there too. So you can like you know uh, you're kind of god mode, and you're placing turrets, and it's like oh crap, there's this hero that you have. You can move him around. And you're like oh they're getting too close to the castle. So you click on the castle, you shrink down, and you can literally pick up and throw like spike traps and drop them over the edge in front of the door. Uh, <laughs> and then it becomes it, and then it's just like and then you're like oh crap. That thing's happening across the field. I got to get big again and go over there and get that thing, and um, and it quickly becomes just absolute chaos. It's like it, it's the same feeling that you would have playing a really good tower defense game in two D, uh, but it 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 only it takes advantage of the, uh, being in VR because it has three D audio cues that lets you know like, hey, this thing is ready over here because that sound is over to my left, so that means I can grab that thing. Um, it's it's just really well done and really well executed. Uh, so that's definitely in my top three for the year. Got to gotta say it. Got to say it. It's awesome. It sounds like they take good advantage of the sense of scale that you get from VR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. For sure. Um, let's see. Number two. Ah, man. I got to put Star Trek Bridge Crew in there. Oh, yeah? Um, Star Trek Bridge Crew is absolutely incredible. It's stunning. It's... <laughs> Uh, that's another thing when I'm talking about the tie-in between an exciting IP and a VR experience when it's done well. I think the only thing holding that title back is that the resources that, that have been put into it, they're, uh, the community just breezed through the content in that game. They're starving for more of it. There's a lot of people that are just waiting to come back to Star Trek Bridge Crew um, because you know they're, they're like, hey, what's next? I want to be in a Klingon ship. I want this. I want the Enterprise. I want this and that. Um, and it's, it, it just, it needs, it needs more content, uh, but it's incredible. Uh, it's, I think someone put it best where it's like, it's almost as if like all these people have been watching the show for 30 years and they've been essentially training themselves to play that game. <laughs> like if you've been watching Star Trek over the past 20 or 30 years, you've essentially taken a training course for how to play Star Trek Bridge Crew. Um, and, uh, there's the amount of role playing uh, that happens in that game is just great, as well as the Galaxy Quest uh, references as well. So uh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, awesome. <laughs> and, um, man, uh, picking a third one is going to be hard, but I think I have to say Space Pirate Trainer, <laughs> although it, it has not come out this year. Uh, technically, like, it's been in early access or beta or whatever it is, but it actually officially did, like, 1.0 this year. Um, and I mean, it's just, you can just come back to it like time and time again. It's just such a great experience. I never, ever get tired of playing space pirate trainer. 
Um, and, uh, it, it's just really, really good. Um, so yeah, but That's I think, you know, awesome. I didn't see that coming by the way. I did not yeah. see space pirate trainer coming. Um, what is it about it that keeps you coming back? Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's that diversity of what can happen in the game. You have uh, a crazy selection of different weapons that you have, uh, between shields and guns and the type of things that you can fire. Um, and you know, the, the way it ramps up the difficulty, uh, with the units that are thrown at you and the different power-ups that you can get. Um, it's just absolutely like when it comes to, you know, designing a game and it comes down to getting that, that game loop down, um, where you've got your, you know, your five seconds of fun, as, uh, a lot of developers have said over the years, you've got your five seconds or three seconds or whatever, how many seconds it is of fun um that is fun no matter how often you come back to it and star uh space pirate trainer is one of those games uh that that get that they they have that compelling you know uh game experience and then everything else is just even more on top of it it's like you know it's a delicious delicious cake with that's just been continually had icing added to it over the course of the year and now it's uh, uh exquisite desserts <laughs> that everyone needs to needs to taste. Uh, it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> you're, you're making me hungry with that, that description of the experience. I don't know. How, I feel a little confused. I'm gonna feel pirates, but it's gonna be a delicious experience. That's great. <laughs> so delicious. Can't wait. <laughs> Let me ask you about um, LARPing um, because that's the first thing that came to my mind um, when you were describing the Starship, the Star Trek uh, bridge crew experience. It seemed like virtual reality is a medium for people to explore LARPing and, and really get into these role-playing roles. And, and next thing you know, it, you don't have, you can be Han Solo and Chewbacca and you can be, you know, uh, any movie IP setting that you can imagine, you can become them. And, 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 and do what they did in those movies or in those games and, or those TV shows. Uh, is that, is this, is this something that you see potential or is this something that like was a one-time thing um, for Star Trek Bridge Crew? No, I, I think it's uh, that's definitely in the future. I think you know with the expel if the experience is compelling enough, I think that's kind of naturally where people go. Like I've been, I think I almost underestimated that effect in Star Trek Bridge Crew. Like I've been completely impressed by the the lack of trollish behavior in Star Trek Bridge Crew. Like there's so much in-character conversation that happens, even if someone is making a joke or being kind of trollish, they're doing it in character. It's crazy how often that happens in Star Trek. Um, because, like, you know, people will, will use the terminology from the show. Uh, I find myself doing it, too, where I will, you know, if I'm the captain or helm or whatever position I am, like, you know, I'm, you know, talking about how many clicks something out, uh, where's it's heading, and let's align ourselves on the uh, induction vector. Like, like you know, it's all these things that you just like, you just fall into it and start your vocabulary, your mannerisms, kind of change because your environment is so compelling, and you're like, oh, all right, there's something happening. So, yeah, I, I think it, it definitely has that potential. I mean, a lot one of those other things that people are waiting for. Is the uh, the big uh, VR MMO? I think honorable mention for this year has been Orbis VR for me because although it's really simple and they've just uh, come out of early access, I think very recently, just a, a few days ago, 
Um, but uh, I've been kind of through the alphas and betas with Orbis, and it's uh, it's so great because you know you have these roles that people can play, and like a wizard actually has to draw rooms in the air to get their spell before they can cast it. Um, or, you know, a, a person that's a barbarian actually has to swing their axe, and it's like, it, you can kind of see that projected in the future when there's a, a person that just wants to be support, a healer, or they want to be a shopkeeper, or they want to be whatever. You can see them very much falling into that role and, and just uh, and doing that, like, in, uh, to a degree that they beyond even what they would do in like something like World of Warcraft or, or something like that. Um, because if you're a shopkeeper, you'll actually be in VR standing with your wares in front of you and uh, haggling over the price of those things in real time. <laughs> mm. um, so it's it's a very different interaction than you know opening a few menus and, and, and typing in chat. You'll literally be looking a person in the face. It's like, I've built this. I want five coin for it. And they'll be like, no. I'm like, well, you can't have it. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can just so easily see yourself kind of falling into those roles because all the props are there. It's like you're on stage uh, for for a play and all the props have been built and they're there and all it's waiting for is for your acting. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's it might take people by surprise how much they fall into character uh, when they do a really good uh, VR experience like that. I want to go back to what you said about the VR MMO, and I think um, it's only a matter of time before we have that SAO style MMO that everyone's waiting for. Um, what is the likelihood that you think uh, that um, Blizzard with World of Warcraft will jump on into the VR hype train? And and if if we ever had a World of Warcraft in VR type MMO, would it be more addicting than the one that's in 2D mode? Mm, great questions. Uh, for the first part, I am not sure if it's going to be Blizzard or some other, you know, big company. I think, you know, the thing with the big game companies now is that they're so tied into the economic models that power games right now. Um, and so there is a concern on how that ends up playing out if they try to make a VR title. Um, you know, and, and I think... Uh, with Blizzard, they're they're extremely capable uh, of of making something incredible uh, that people will dig, but it could also end up something where it's the business model influences design decisions, and then people just kind of like, you know what? No, uh, I don't. I'm not all about this at all. Um, so maybe it's some kind of wild card that comes out of nowhere. Um, or maybe even some game that there's just it has multiplayer and a lot of people end up playing it and it kind of all of a sudden becomes this very intricate VR MMO because of just by virtue of the number of people playing it. Like I've thought for a long time that Elite Dangerous might possibly become that if it were to get popular enough because you have a world and you have planets you can land on and everyone has spaceships. And it's like, well, how much farther is it to be able to get outside your spaceship and interact with people? Like Star Citizen is another kind of example there where if Star Citizen executes well on everything it's trying to do and there's enough people playing it and they have a, a, a good VR uh, execution on that, like 
then that becomes kind of the almost a default metaverse or default VR MMO, quote unquote, because there's just so many people playing it and it supports so many game modes um, that, I mean, there's some games that are coming up in the future that might not even be thought of as VR games right now, uh, but but because they support you going from a person running on the ground to getting inside a vehicle or a spaceship and leaving to go to another planet, and because the game technologies actually support that type of thing, um, man, I don't know. I don't know who's actually going to be the person to nail that down. Uh, on the second part about addiction, I, I think, yeah, I think there's definitely going to be all the same issues around addiction when it comes to VR MMOs, you know, as compared to 2D ones. Um, I think it might even get more dangerous because of the type of interaction. You might get in and start to role-playing and find out how much you like it, how much you like being that shopkeeper, (laughs) how much you like being that barbarian. And it's almost kind of speaking to some of the same issues that MMO brought up, (laughs) or uh, SAO brought up, I'm sorry, in in the show where it's like, well, there's some people that feel like, well, this this is so much better, right? Like, uh, what I am inside of this game is actually way better, and I feel much more put together than the person I was in real life, right? And I, I'm I can definitely see people feeling that. Where if you can kind of invest yourself to a certain level in the VR experience, then it's uh, yeah, there's definitely that that danger, right, uh, of of being really kind of addicted kind of sucked in yeah yeah what do you think will be be i i wonder if this is uh, what do you think it would be the difference between uh, an addiction and a way of life um would it will it will we ever cross a threshold where you know vr becomes so ubiquitous and it's so interconnected with other technologies that wearing the headset for eight hours a day isn't an addiction it's a necessity um or do you think we'll never cross that cross <laughs> cross that thres- that threshold uh, of of experience? What do you think? Mm, I don't think we'll get to the necessity point like how a cell phone or the internet is necessary now. Um, but I do think that we'll get to a point where it won't be maybe uncommon or um, maybe uh, kind of strange that a person spends. Uh, you know, eight to 10 hours of their day inside uh, VR. Uh, And I think that comes down to whatever happens in virtual economies. Um, So high fidelity has already kind of got into what they're doing with uh, crypto uh, currencies. Um, And, you know, they're definitely not going to be the last to kind of explore that territory. Uh, So once we get to the point where, I can be inside of whatever VR experience I'm in and I can, whatever I'm doing, building or fighting or mining or whatever, if I'm able to do that activity and produce actual economic value to support myself, uh, then yeah, definitely. Like being in VR uh, eight to 10 hours a day makes a whole lot of sense. And I mean, it's not just, you know, kind of the gaming kind of, you know, currency, but it's also kind of enterprise type things like, hey, maybe there's a at a point there's a network of uh, teaching that happens in VR where you're a really great instructor for X, Y or Z subjects. And so you're in demand around the world to virtually teach students 
and so that means that you're in VR or AR um, as a regular part of your job because you want to live in California, but there's demand from United Emirates and from India and uh, from New York or wherever it is uh, that students um, want to uh, you know learn from uh, from you and get that knowledge that you have and, and virtual reality can enable that. Um, then again, that becomes a way for VR to pay your bills in the the you know the most direct way, uh, where a uh, customer service desk could be another example. I mean, that was kind of in Ready Player One to a certain extent, um, but you can definitely see that, especially for like big expensive uh, uh, items for enterprise. <clears throat> I mean, that could be a real a real thing. Like, hey, you're you're on support and. A part of your job as support is to hop into VR with that person and actually train them or kind of troubleshoot that item uh, with a 3D model of uh, whatever that item is uh, that's linked to the physical one that's in real life, you know? So uh, I definitely foresee a lot of those things happening, and it definitely would not be out of the ordinary for, uh, for a person to make their living inside of virtual reality. I so this is a great. I, I'm really glad you brought this up because I was gonna start asking you about what what was your take um, with what what your insights are in terms of the com the combination of blockchain and virtual reality when they both merge and and and, and work together. Um, it seems like you just gave me a pretty good vision of what that might look like, but I want to get your thoughts in terms of like who is the number one player the the one that's ahead of the pack um and is there one at all because what i'm noticing is that there's blockchain people there's crypto people who want to create who want to create a virtual world uh, but they don't have much experience about virtual worlds and then you have vr people who want to create that social vr virtual world with blockchain but they don't have much experience about cryptocurrency or crypto um mm-hmm. and so and so I don't know who who do you think is going to be the one that's going to take the cake? Um, you know who's ahead of the pack, or is it someone like you know Rockstar with all of a sudden they say, "All right, GTA Five now is opened up with a blockchain," <laughs> and, and everyone jumps into GTA Five with a with in that world has already been created. That's a huge expensive world, expansive world. Um, mm-hmm. Not that they would turn that into an MMO, but but you see what I'm saying? Like they there's there's why wouldn't what would stop Facebook or what would stop uh, you know creators, big IP creators of, of even bigger worlds from jumping in the game as well? I think this is a pretty pretty deep loaded question. I think, uh, but <laughs> let me get your thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, let me preface this by I know precious little about uh, cryptocurrency. I'm just uh, very much a novice, uh, probably pre novice there. Um, but you know, from you know what I gather about kind of the philosophy behind cryptocurrency, behind Bitcoin, is that you know it's not about how many U.S. dollars it's worth. It's about getting to the point where you don't you don't worry about U.S. dollars. Like you just use Bitcoin for everything. You use cryptocurrency for everything. And I think that's kind of you know that's why I think it ties so strongly into a virtual world because that, that's like it's not about you know uh, like converting this or converting it to something else 
um, like, you know, yen or dollars or, or euros. It's about, hey, this is what we use and this intrinsically has value here. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of wild. I don't know if there's kind of a leader. I mean, you know, high fidelity is definitely taking that step forward. And, and, uh, Phil Roselle, I mean, has experience through second life. And I mean, this is something that's been passionate about and has researched. Um, so that's exciting. Um, I don't know, maybe Valve does something. I mean, you know, up until very recently, they were uh, dealing with Bitcoin uh, transactions very concretely on Steam. Um, so that is kind of interesting because they have that concrete in experience internally, like, hey, we actually have dealt with this. We know what it means to deal with this for, you know, lots and lots of transactions. Um, and uh, they've since kind of stopped because of volatility and transaction time and fees and things like that. Um, but uh, but that's also interesting. Whatever three VR titles Valve is supposedly working on, uh, what if one of them involves that? Or just by kind of the social features that are within Steam VR, if uh, that involves uh, some kind of cryptocurrency. Um, so they might end up having some kind of advantage there uh, that is kind of coming on out of left field for some folks. Um, other than that, I, I don't know, man. It's going to be people smarter than me for sure to to figure that out. I mean, when it, I mean, we can hardly get a consensus about our real life economy. I mean, I don't even want to start to think about what it means for virtual ones. Um, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really it's really nuts. And I, I think some of this stuff again, I think it goes back to it'll happen organically. I think there's people that have these visions and these designs, and they they want these things to happen, but I think a lot of it is just going to end up happening just by virtue of the amount of people that are using said application. It's just like Steam, right? There's just so many people using Steam that they were like, well, uh, we can we can go into this, right? Because we have enough volume and it's not you – know, the risk is – is low enough that we can just like, Hey, let's, let's accept Bitcoin for our transactions on steam and see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's like, you know, but, but first you have to build up this incredible, incredible user base. So I think before a game or MMO or anything in VR starts talking about some of these grander ambitions, I think the first job is to make sure millions of people are playing your game. And I mean that's that's kind of the first step. I mean you can have all the best systems and the best theory that you want, but if there's no people there actually playing it on a daily basis, then um, well, it's going to collect dust, whatever your idea is. So, uh, so in essence, be Valve and then release <laughs> Sword Art Online tied to a blockchain. <laughs> perfect, perfect. That's a game plan. I like that. I like that. That's. It's so so easy, so easy. <laughs> let me ask you. Uh, let me change gears. We're starting to bring things down to a close, but I want to ask you about the VR land party. Um, were you able to attend? And if you did, how was it? Oh yes. So SVVR, Silicon Valley Virtual Reality. Uh, we had a VR land party yes. on uh, uh, a weekend ago, and uh, man, it was great. Uh, I got there around uh, two or three-ish or something, and there was exactly one computer that was up and running, uh, as is the state of VR right now. When you move all your stuff to some other location, getting things set up is still a pain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So it's still like, oh, come on. Um, 
but uh, we end up putting two base stations really, really high up in the corners and having multiple vibes going uh, off of those two base stations, which uh, which worked and was awesome. Nice. Um, we had some really uh, decent sessions of Star Trek Bridge Crew uh, with four people all together um, doing that. There were some really decent sessions of Echo Arena, I think, that went down. Um, that was uh, really, really cool. Um, and then there was people just kind of playing their own thing. Uh, man, we had probably somewhere between 15 and 20 systems between upstairs and downstairs hooked up. And uh, people just, some some of them brought their stuff. Like one dude brought uh, like his wheel and like nice. sticks and a chair and everything. Um, so that was really cool. So it was a really good time. Uh, you know, I had a whole bunch of stuff loaded up and a lot of people got to try some stuff and, and check it out. Um, I had my, uh, PlayStation VR there hooked up. Uh, the cool thing about PlayStation VR is that you don't need a monitor. Uh, so you just turn on your PlayStation 4 and everything could be seen through the headset. So you don't need a TV or monitor hooked up to it. Um, so that was nice. So I had my PSVR there. I had my, you know, desktop there with uh, a Rift hooked up to it. And then I had my, gaming laptop there with uh, Windows MR, uh, the Acer headset hooked up to it as well. Nice. So I, I had three units just by myself, and because you know things are getting so compact, I only had like three bags I was able to fit all that stuff into, which was like, yeah. Um, so I brought the Vive and ended up not even using it uh, for, for myself. Uh, it was just like Rift, PSVR, and uh, Windows. So, uh, But man, it was super... Super fun. We are talking about maybe doing it um, at least once a year, maybe once a quarter or so, uh, and and really uh, maybe picking uh, maybe two games to make sure everyone comes in and has those two games. I think that was kind of our mistake uh, that everyone came together, but everyone was like, well, who has Star Trek Bridge Crew? And I was like, well, I got it on the systems I brought. And they were like, well, we don't have it. And it's like, dude, you can't download stuff at a LAN party. It takes forever. Uh, so... Uh, so that's a lesson learned there. You, you pick two or three games that you make sure download this at home, make sure it's updated, make sure you bring it in. Um, and then once we hook up, we just start having fun, hit the ground running once we got everything hooked up. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, we were there until, uh, almost midnight. Uh, wow. yeah, yeah. It was, it was an all day affair. It was, awesome. it was super awesome. Um, so it, it went really well. I had a blast. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Would it be illegal to put together a VR tournament and have people pay money to, and, and then like the winner takes the pot or so? Is that a gambling? Is that like, is that, do you need a license for that to run um, some sort no, of VR not gambling in the United ring? States. Oh. <laughs> no, not in the United States. Cause I mean, I'm, uh, I'm also very involved in the street fighter. Uh, fighting game community uh, and things like that for years and years. So, uh, and or have organized small tournaments and stuff. So, no, if you want to have a tournament, you don't have to do anything like that. It's not considered gambling because it's a it's a game of skill. Um, so, uh, just like anything else, any kind of other contest or anything else that you would do. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, you just you know get together, say hey, here's a prize, or we're getting together, we're doing a tournament for this, and you can totally do it. I think in Japan. There's actually been some laws passed very, very recently um, about a pro gamer license uh, because in Japan for the longest time you actually couldn't have a tournament with any kind of cash winnings. You have to have the prize be a thing, like an item, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but now I think they have this 
license you can get as a pro gamer that allows you to actually win money if you win a tournament um, instead of just winning an item <laughs> or, or something. Um, so, uh, yeah, different countries are different. But in the United States, hey, you want to hold a tournament. And I would expect something like that could definitely happen with, like, Echo Arena, for example. Yeah. Like, a, a version of that happened in Oculus Connect, essentially, um, where they had a lot of the uh, kind of the semifinals um, for uh, some of the E-League stuff uh, for uh, Echo Arena happened there, and then they have the finals on the you know the the, the main stage. Um, so it'd be really cool. I'd love to see that kind of stuff pop up. I think execution wise, it just becomes really tough because it's like, well, is everyone bringing their you know VR headset? How many headsets do you have to have? Like it's different. Like a fighting game tournament, usually you expect everyone to bring their own controller or stick, but the tournament organizer is providing the the PlayStation systems and TVs, for example. Um, but a VR tournament gets a little more complicated uh, than that. So I think from an organizer point of view, you, yeah, uh, yeah, that maybe if you already had like a, like kind of uh, one of those, um, those places where you have people that come and, and play games and things like that, like a land center or something like that. Um, PC bong, as they say in Korea, uh, if you got one of those uh, already, then maybe that's kind of a good good kind of segue for your business uh, to get that done. Or just the other way, just doing kind of the big warehouse scale stuff like Void or um, or uh, some of those other types of things. I think if I owned a laser tag place, that's definitely what I'd be doing with my business. I'd be doing laser tag, and maybe once a week I'd be transforming that into a VR arcade place uh multiplayer have a tournament like i think maybe that's the the angles that you have to go yeah i would love to um yeah and i was thinking about psvr being a really good medium for doing this and i would you you would say something like all right everybody bring your own psvr um they're getting cheaper so that's so that's good i think it'll be easier and easier for people to jump jump on board next year um and then and then bring your own PSVR and then we'll have a tournament for money. Um, so I am excited, Bruce. I think I think now that you've cleared the air for me, uh, the possibilities seem endless. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so let me start bringing things down to a close. Last final question. Um, we're gonna go out of out of left field. Um, what do you think are the implications of machine learning being combined with virtual reality? Hmm, that is a very interesting question. Um, it was actually something that was posted on Twitter uh, very recently today or yesterday from the, because, um, uh, what was it, uh, I forget the name of the company, but they were showing how um, uh, essentially you can point a gun at an NPC and it knows to put its hands up and put its hands behind its head. Uh, and that the computer recognizes that it was a really cool gift that they they attached to it. I want to say Alduin, Alduin Dynamics, or I don't even know if I'm saying that right. Uh, Alden, um, maybe Alden. 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 There we go. Um, yeah. So Alden. I think they they put a tweet out. Uh, so that's interesting. I think uh, that's going to be a major major factor when it's like I want things to behave like I would expect them to behave or surprise me with their behavior. That becomes so much more important in virtual reality. Like you can see a whole lot of videos and live streams of Skyrim going back to that where people 
go and they'll do some action to an NPC or to a dog or cat or chicken or whatever it is, and they, you know, you don't get a response, right? The world is not responsive to you. Um, and so I think that is where this becomes like so, so important because you want your maybe an NPC companion to, to be along with you and to respond and learn from you, not just, you know, respond to a canned list of actions, but actually to learn things from you, uh, as far as what you do or what you say, oh man, uh, uh man, talk about LARPing to the next level. Yeah. Like you, you can LARP by yourself when you have, uh, <laughs> That uh, that amount of compelling uh, compelling content is AI and machine learning stuff, um, man. And and then of course there's like kind of the big picture stuff when it's dealing with big data, um, and uh, you know maintaining huge economies or maintaining huge systems or maintaining persistence um, in a virtual world uh, where that also kind of comes into play, like you know the machine learning or AI or uh, those type of technologies as they grow. Um, and, and get more proficient, like you, you're able to really maintain a certain level of realism and get better and better at, at maintaining those things and keeping track of all of those little details, which uh, will get you to compare that virtual world to a real one. Uh, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's going to be kind of mind-blowing too, I think. So Yeah, we're getting closer and closer to the point at which we'll create simulations uh, just as good as our own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, machine learning is part of that soup of elements that will make it happen. Cymatic Bruce, sir, you are truly a legend and a scholar and a gentleman, a wizard of virtual reality. How can people support and follow up with what you're doing these days? Oh, man, absolutely. Uh, so I am on Twitter at Cymatic Bruce. You can check it out. Uh, LinkedIn slash Bruce Wooden. Uh, I'm on also cymaticbruce.com. I have a website there. You can kind of learn more about what my story has been. Um, so, yeah, any of those three things, go ahead and uh, kind of get in there and find out what I'm up to and, and, and what I'm about. Um, and, uh, yeah, right now it's looking for the next adventure. Find out what's going to be next. Uh, I think I've definitely uh, been thrilled with the journey so far in the VR industry and looking for what the next thing is going to be. Exciting. Well, Bruce, thanks again for your time, and I will see you sometime in the metaverse. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's all I'm talking about. I look forward to it. See you in the void, my friend. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs>